This podcast features discussions around potentially triggering material, such as the alt-right, Nazis, misogyny, and trauma. Please consider if this is the right podcast for you to listen to. Also, a disclaimer. Please do not consider the contents of this podcast praxis for trying to address these problems. And also, don't try and address these problems if you're not in a good place to do so, or it would affect the safety of yourself or others. Thank you. since Robbie was last at your table. The other members of the table have certainly been a lot more free and a lot happier without him there, and you're able to ignore the odd guilty pang about kicking him out and lying to him about it. The welfare of the table has to come first, right? Right. You still see Robbie down at the local friendly game store, and he's sat in on a one-shot or two. He seems largely okay. You still joke and bond over the story and the experience, but you can definitely feel the distance between the two of you. You completely understand why. And while it is hard playing with him, knowing that you excluded him from a group, you're pretty confident that while he's in a public space, he'll be better behaved, won't start a fight, won't do anything that would go against the safety of the table. I mean, what kind of person does something like that in public? And look, for the most part, yeah, he's okay. Things get tense, but it wasn't completely his fault. It was a minor rules infraction from a new player. Robbie makes a joke about it after. It was a bit mean, though. Something like, when you're growing up, etc, etc. But it's not enough to pull him up on or react to. You've also been trying to make time to hang out now and then. Robbie has seemed still kind of eager to hang out, but several times now, he's made excuses at the last moment and cancelled. Once or twice, he's cancelled when you were already waiting for him where you agreed to meet. Any attempts to find out what happened are met with very deliberate and extremely oppressive silence. A few days later, you're out about you're out and about at the mall, and you see Robbie. You wave before noticing the person he's out with. Robbie waves, and the two of you shake hands. His friend is um, he's different to Robbie. He's physically fitter for one thing. He's also a lot more intense. His eyes don't move away from you and completely hold your gaze when you talk. You know, unlike a normal person's would. He's also very quiet. You can tell he's listening not only to what you're saying, but the words you're using to say it. You get the feeling this person is evaluating you as a threat. As Robbie speaks and this new guy looks at him, you take a few seconds to examine him Pretty quickly. He has a black leather jacket you would otherwise describe as pretty cool. And let's be honest, all black leather jackets are very cool. But it has a couple of patches on it you'd describe as a little problematic. A few of the markings look like Viking runes. You decide it's time for you to go on your way and you make an excuse to leave. As you go, you get a look at the back of his jacket. Stitched on in large white letters, 
is the number six and the letters M-W-E. As you leave, you hear Robbie and this new guy laughing about something. It's not a very nice laugh. That night, you decide to do some sleuthing and log on to Reddit. Robbie tends to use the same username everywhere, like we all do, and it takes maybe a couple of minutes using a throwaway account to start going over posts which he's been liking and commenting on. It's not very encouraging. A lot of very hurtful memes, problematic jokes, and even a post or two that leave you very cold. The worst were his contributions in the incel or anti-feminist and some of the political forums of Reddit. You get the distinct feeling that Robbie has fallen into some very bad company. You text him to ask how he is. You're not sure whether you should mention what you've seen posted on his Reddit account, as it may push him further away. You decide to take the safe path of least resistance, and you and Robbie chat for a bit. Like last time, most of what you cover is about pop culture. He asks about the game, when you might start it up again. You tell him you're still too busy now, but you'll see him at the drop-in games at the FLGS. The next time you see Robbie at the game store, he has a friend with him. It's a different guy to the last one, but a lot of similarities as far as patches on his clothing. These are far more subtle, except he does have an iron cross on one of his sleeves. You're about to start playing when the owner of the FLGS walks over to the table and politely, yet firmly, asks Robbie's friend to leave. There is a moment here, and you recognize it. A moment where things could become a confrontation that spirals, maybe even into something physical. It's extremely tense for a second. Thankfully, though, it doesn't. Robbie and his friend leave. Robbie clearly would have liked to stay and is really devastated, but his new friend wasn't going to let him stay. That bad feeling you have in your gut solidifies. We've talked a lot in this series about what emotional conditions can potentially make us more amenable to being groomed and manipulated by bad faith actors. Disaffectation and social isolation can do a great deal of damage to our ability to assert our sense of self against people who would seek to radicalize or take advantage of us. I want to cover a few things in our discussion today, but before any of that, I want to say thank you to you for listening and apologize for how very, very late this is. My life kind of got in the way a lot and left me extremely tired and not able to do this. Um, I also want to say, um, you know, this is not easy to get through and, and thank you for sticking with me. Uh, and I also want to say a massive thank you also to everyone who's helped make this happen. Um, Tyler, thank you very much for doing all the editing uh, on everything else. And um, yeah, everyone, thank you. We're going to talk about bad faith actors, how they function and how our current social setup helps them achieve their goals as well as the group dynamics they kind of tend to have, and a little bit about how we can get in the way of this. Before we get into that, we need to talk a little bit about how our brains work. Kind of. I'm lost to say, here's how our brain works. Largely because I am not a neurologist, but also because a lot of the time when someone who is not a neurologist says, here is how the brain works, it is very often being said by someone who does not know how the brain works. 
and maybe trying to mislead you about how your brain works. But fortunately, because of my studies involved learning about how bad people work, I can very comfortably say, here is how part of your brain works. Kind of. It's actually more accurate for me to say, this is kind of how your mind works. A bit. Confirmation bias is my second favorite exploitable habit the brain has. It is essentially what your brain does in order to make it easier for you to make a decision, or even just exist in an environment of overly abundant information, like we have now. Stereotyping, assumptions, and, well, that's just my experience, are essentially forms of this. The most banal example I can give is, you know that thing that happens when you buy a car and suddenly you see that car everywhere? That is confirmation bias. It is your brain filtering reality to reinforce your opinion that you were right and that buying that Yaris was a good choice. Because, hey, looks like everyone else bought a Yaris too. The worst is that it also subconsciously reinforces a lot of very bad things we believe that we see in uh, TV shows and movies, things around race, sexual or gender identity, certain political stances, and the behaviors of unhoused individuals. My absolute favorite, however, is the Barnum effect, otherwise known as the Fora effect. As a quick disclaimer, I want to say that these are not my favorites because I use them, especially not on the listeners to my podcasts. You're all way too smart for that anyway. But because once you know about them, it is easier to defend yourself against bad faith actors that use them. The Encyclopedia Britannica describes the Fora or Barnum effect as follows. Barnum effect, also called Fora effect in psychology, The phenomenon that occurs when individuals believe that personality descriptions apply specifically to them, more so than to other people, despite the fact that the description is actually filled with information that applies to everyone. The reason I bring these up is because both of these are used by people who often wish to exploit others. In our previous episodes, we've discussed how... By using offensive humor and divisive tactics, it is entirely possible to alienate members of online communities and leave them vulnerable to manipulation using variations of the approaches I outlined above. I'd also want to say, if you want to read up more on this, uh, there's some really good books. Uh, The book Social Engineering is really good. Um, Schneier's uh, Liars and Outliers is absolutely excellent. Um, And also you should just go read the books by Kevin Mitnick. They're quite good at getting into this as well. Uh, Oh, also, Dave McCraney's You Are Not So Smart is excellent for this too. Parasocial relationships are also a massive cause for concern. I know I spoke about these with Peter before. Um, I'm going to read the definition around these that's provided in Wikipedia. Parasocial interaction, or PSI, refers to a kind of psychological relationship experienced by an audience in their, medi- in their mediated encounters with performers in the mass media, particularly on television. Viewers or listeners come to consider media personalities as friends, despite having limited interactions with them. PSI is described as an illusionary experience, such that media audiences interact with personas like talk show hosts, celebrities, fictional characters, 
or social media influencers. We'll come back to those later. As if they are engaged in a reciprocal relationship with them. The term was coined by Donald Horton and Richard Wall in 1956. A parasocial interaction, uh, an exposure that garners interest in a persona, becomes a parasocial relationship after repeated exposure to the media persona causes the media user or consumer to develop illusions of intimacy, friendship, and identification. Positive information learned about the media persona results in increased attraction and the relationship progresses. Parasocial relationships are enhanced due to trust and self-disclosure provided by the media persona. Media users are loyal and feel directly connected to the persona, much as they are connected to their close friends, by observing and interpreting their appearance, gestures, voice, conversation, and conduct. Media personas have a significant amount of influence over media users, positive or negative, informing the way that they perceive certain topics or even in their purchasing habits. Social media introduces additional opportunities for parasocial relationships to intensify because it provides more opportunities for intimate, reciprocal, and frequent interactions between the user and persona. Personally, what I think is that we've had parasocial relationships with the universe, possibly when we decided there were people who we really admired but couldn't get their attention, or when we were unhappy with the weather and just needed it to rain or stop raining. Cults of personality, religious movements, even the earliest records of celebrity culture around such figures as Lord Byron, whose fans are called Byron Maniacs, suggest that this form of connection is a very common one. Uh, to find out more about this, please do go read Greg Jenner's book about it. Um, it's amazing, and his podcast is great too. Again, in Alone Together, the author argues that people are prepared to accept a supplemental social life by imbuing aspects of humanity into devices for what it's worth, I don't think that's healthy, neither did she. It's also not a very big step to go from that to, as Peter and I discussed in the last episode, um, essentially using that social media presence you have as kind of like a supplement for actual friendships. Now, what I, I don't want to say that people like Chef John from Food Wishes is a grifter trying to get at your hard-earned. He's after all that nice dude who makes all that food on YouTube. However, the same cannot be said about many right-wing identities on YouTube and other media outlets. Garrison and I discussed how right-wing sympathizers use meme and other nerdy references when talking among themselves. However, they also act very disingenuous, and it's worth looking into this further, especially as the grifters that engage with this are very good at what they do. Um, I, I think also like there's this alongside the Overton window, like, like I said, there's this. They almost have this ability to kind of blend in to society. Like they they've put aside like the um, uh, sorry, a lot of them appear to uh, have put aside the swastika and you know the, yeah. the goose stepping in the uniform and just traded in for like you know tight muscle t-shirts or something. Yeah, that's that's been a that's been a part of like the like the the alt-right kind of aesthetic and purpose is is losing the more kind of 
overt things that turn people away and and turn people off from these ideas and slowly and try to and try to like wrap it in a more you know uh mainstream package you know so whether that be like whether that be like richard spencer trying to you know look like a college professor hipster or whatever or uh or you know someone like uh the guys that ram who you know have this very like athletic kind of like bodybuilder gym mma type style yeah there's there's been a lot of efforts to kind of re yeah to step away from like the skinhead aesthetic and try to and try to mask some of these more you know very extreme and genocidal ideologies and like packaging that regular conservatives can kind of like be attracted to um yeah this this, this I mean this is this has been a very like purposeful thing you know you, you can you can like look back on like the people organizing unite the right in charlottesville and like this was a very intentional thing, and there was you know when people's reactions after Charlottesville, after you know they killed someone, the people were saying like we need to stop with the tiki torches, we need to stop with all this kind of stuff because e- even that is too much. Like even that's gonna turn people away. We need to be- we need to become even more like normalized, and we need to yeah like we we need to even like commit further to trying to to trying to like make this seem a- appealable to like regular people. One thing I'd love to know is, I mean, look, you've got these people who are trying to, you know, as they say, hide their power levels. Um, But there's got to kind of be like ways of recognizing when someone is a bad faith actor. Like I I, I like to think my my arsehole sense can tingle very well. Like I – but I also know that a lot of people – have a belief that they know when someone's lying to them, and yet professional liars are very good at what they do. Yeah, and professional lie detector people are generally pretty bad at what they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of people who, who who spout the ability to detect lies are also kind of grifters. Um, I think I've, I've a part of a Behind the Bastards podcast that's going to be airing eventually that kind of delves on this topic as people who who pretend to be able to tell when someone's lying. Um, yeah. Generally, humans are pretty overconfident in their abilities a lot of the time. <laughs> yes. We, we all believe we're above average or so, and yet mathematically that cannot be. No. <laughs> um, but what would be your, um, your way of saying, look, these are the signs that I use to look if someone is very clearly attempting a grift or someone's arguing in bad faith? Yeah, I guess it depends on the context. Like, it like a uh, it, it depends on what they're doing and what what I believe their goal is. Like, it's um, trying to think of like if there would be like an like specific example that might that might be more useful because it, oh, it, it kind of yes. depends. It kind of kind of depends what you mean by like bad actor. Um, you know, is this like somebody who is, um, yeah? I guess like is, is this someone no, who no, like right. secretly holds more extreme beliefs and is pretending to is pretending to have less extreme beliefs to attract an audience? Well, yeah, kind of kind of kind of depends. Yeah, on the context um, to to very, to be very specific within the context of um, you know our you know our friend who doesn't exist, Robbie. Um, in in his case, it's more a someone is trying to like kind of hide some of those you know show, let, let's use their lingo. Like he's trying to hide his power level in order to get Robbie, like, on his side, to show him, sure. I am really your friend. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but this is kind of, like, what I think as well, kind of thing. Okay, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, if it's if it's like like on like a personal level, it's not it's not not like a media personality. That that can I mean that can, that 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 can be quite tricky. Um, I mean, yeah, it depends. If I mean, a, a lot of it can be feeling based. It depends on you know their tone and cadence, and, and if you feel like they're trying to if they're trying to get something out of their kind of like friendship or relationship with you. Um, yeah, like trying to combat kind of extremism on that personal level is one of like the hardest aspects because you have in order to do that you have to really understand why people are attracted to these kind of ideologies in the first place um and it's generally more complicated than what people let off on you know or like what what people or what you know we we, we, we generally assume so yeah like in, in the case of you know someone if you know if there's like an influence in someone's life that's you think is maybe like taking someone down a darker like a, a darker path um but you aren't you aren't like totally sure I mean, yeah it, it depends on what kind of circles they run in um what kind of yeah i mean the, the the easiest thing to look for is like the the collection of like memes and dog whistles that people use to communicate on the internet all right that, that's like the most tangible thing that we can look at that can actually like describe intent or figure out you know what kind of circles does this person run in on the internet because like where, where are they getting these types of memes right that, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that is like the most tangible thing because it, it's hard to look into someone's brain and figure out what their intention is but you, you can look at it like the way they're communicating and figure out okay where where did they learn this language um, and this is this is where this language lives, and where this language lives is also where all these ideas live, and these 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 ideas and these languages are heavily tied, right? So you know, a, f a few years ago, that was you know Pepe. Um, Pepe doesn't Pepe doesn't really do that anymore. Pepe's kind of been renormalized, and even like tried to be like purposely like purposely like reclaimed by a lot of like the left. Um, but there are a lot of memes and aesthetics on the internet that can give people a way to be like, okay, this person is saying one thing, but the way they're interacting with these online communities is telling me something else. Um, that yeah, that can, that can be that can be like code words, that can be like aesthetics, whether that be like you know vaporwave and skull masks, right? Which is you know a very uh, just. Uh, you know, vaporwave got very popular as like a fascist aesthetic a few years ago. The skull masks are uh, generally got popularized by Adam Waffen, so you, you see a lot of that. Like, quote, it's called like fashwave um, is used in a lot of places. Um, people still use kind of the frog memes, um, like the uh, the uh, Groiper frog meme, which is like Pepe but um, more obese, I guess is technically. Um, so yeah, there is like a list of. You know, I I I have I have like you know big doc files on my computer. I can just like go through like a list of things I look for that people when you know when people are communicating online. Be like, oh, this person may actually be kind of bullshitting. This person, you know, may actually um, run in some pretty sketchy circles because these are the things they're these are the things they're sharing. These are the jokes they're using. Um, and in order to know what this joke means, you have to be familiar with some kind of sketchy stuff. Um, but you know, on the other hand, like the reason why they do these things is because it's hard for normies to pick that up, right? Unless they're familiar with it, it's hard to know. That's why you know there's people like me and Robert Evans and you know countless other people who are remain anonymous and other people who, who do not, um, who dedicate you know a lot of time to exposing these types of things so that people are more aware of them. Um, but I mean, it's it's difficult. It's it's like it's it's hard on purpose. That's 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 why they do this. Now, this comes back to much of what we've been saying around keeping ourselves in contact with people that can help us. Empathy and social connections 
are very proven facilitators towards better mental health. A part of me wants to think that empathy uh, is almost like a human race-wide immune system. It keeps us safe from becoming worse than we could be by helping us to understand and appreciate other people, their pain, their motivations, all those good things. Now, I want to go back to our previous episodes and focus on a lot of what we said around disaffectation and isolation. As we said before, disaffectation is when someone largely gives up on society as they believe it is no longer for them. This can be the result of trauma, where someone starts to believe that they've been hurt by someone, no one wants them around, they're not good enough to be around other people. It can also be because of enforced or perceived marginalization. I say perceived because there are times when an individual may assume they've been declined for a position or romantic partner for demographic rather than personal reasons. I realize this is really shaky and I need to be very nuanced, so please forgive me being kind of cautious, throwing too much in here, but I want to include, like, an example of this would be someone may miss out on a job and perhaps blame, oh, diversity hires, rather than, well, that person certainly interviewed better than me because they're actually far more personally engaging. Hey, that's something I should really work on for next time. The problem is that disaffectation combined with someone very carefully coaching people with a certain kind of expectation or reaction in mind can lead to some very terrible outcomes, especially where certain reactions can be triggered. I think it is important to start looking at how exactly we can start to examine and look at bad faith actors and identify them. What we're going to do is we're going to assume that this person is a very established personality with a large number of followers on social media. Now, there's nothing wrong with social media. As Peter and I discussed, social media is a tool, and a very effective one, and one that can be used well. But in this case, we are assuming that someone has an audience and an intention for them. Now, the first thing we need to look at is how they communicate with their target audience. Often, they present themselves as an authority figure. Maybe some kind of outsider or presenter of uh, outside knowledge. Let's say it's like a celebrity chef presenting opinions on medical advice. Often this information is couched in terms that present it as being more authentic or unbiased, unaffected by Big Pharma or those doctors who just want your money. The goal here is to present information that is forbidden or at least portrayed that way. This will, of course, lose them some followers while radicalizing and gaining others. Usually, these new followers have already heard this information and these positions elsewhere. Garrison and I have discussed previously that these groups do have an extensive and developing set of coded language and norms. Now, I want to caveat this by saying that every community has sensitive norms and jargon, and that having such isn't an indicator that there's something wrong here. But sometimes people do code their language, as they know that coming out and saying what they mean is not going to work out well for them. But let's not get distracted. We have an influencer, and a group of people over whom they have influence. Their next step is to start isolating the group. Now, I don't want to jump straight into hyperbole here. 
I don't mean they immediately buy a compound and say like, you know, Oregon and start buying guns and taunting the FDA. I mean, they start exerting influence in such a way that their target groups starts to imbue them with a level of authority and trust that may have started out small, but becomes more and more disproportionately large. This again can be using the language of exclusion. It's them and us, the truth we have or the lies they live. Again, this often does come with some drop-off, but it also further radicalizes the followers that remain, establishing the influencer more and more as not just an authority, but the only authority. And not just on what they're good at, but in more aspects of their lives. Partially, this is due to what we discussed before, confirmation bias. But it's also linked to the sunk cost fallacy. Except, it's not money in this case, uh, it's time, mental, emotional energy. It also ties back to what we've discussed with regards to disaffectation, where people without a good and healthy support network or connections to society will look for or be found by groups like this. Now, this is often where it starts to become noticeable. You may have a friend who starts getting into a group like this, perhaps even using some coded language here and there. Honestly, in this case, warning signs can be a withdrawal from regular social activities or even changes in their social media behaviors. To interject a little here and provide a bit of perspective, just because you haven't seen or heard from your friend in a while, it doesn't mean they've fallen in with a cult or a group like I'm outlining here. It could simply mean that they're feeling overwhelmed at the moment. Really, the best thing you can do, if you can, is to reach out and just say hi. See if you can arrange even just a quick little catch-up, in person preferably. This action, just by itself, is great, as it certainly lets people know they are valued. Now, the th next step of radicalization, this is where the wheels really come off. The group is now properly radicalized, outsiders and insiders. There's now usually a really accelerated rush towards removing every belief that is no longer compatible with the group's identity, and each member now tends to view the other members with suspicion. Minor gaffes, mistakes, and errors now mean the groups turn on those that make them. And often, this has a couple of goals. The first is to break down and get rid of any semblance of individuality. But the other behavior we tend to see here is people attack those that make these mistakes so that they are themselves not attacked. Trying to leave this is a really hard concept for them to start to consider as any signs of disloyalty will lead to personal attacks that we mentioned before from other members of the group. The influencer or authority figures within the group now take on a completely unquestionable status within the group and now the narrative of the group can survive even the most blatant falsehoods or predictions that fail, and the members of the group will find reasons to justify it. It is also where any chance of removing people from this group is probably not going to happen, unless they have a watershed moment, or you're a qualified de-radicalization expert. If you are one, or you know one, please get in contact with me. I have a lot of questions. I want to insert something else here. The last thing I want people to think about people that get caught up in these groups is that they're morons or stupid or idiots 
or that there is something fundamentally wrong with them. I also apologize for the ableist language here, but what I'm trying to stress is that most of the time, people that get caught up in groups like this are people that would otherwise fit the average. In fact, some of them are really intelligent. One of the kind of disturbing things I read when I was at uni is that one of the largest demographics of people that occupy the middle tiers of groups such as these are often university educated and fall somewhere in the middle class. I think one of my professors put it far better than I can, so I'm going to paraphrase him somewhat. Out there, somewhere is a scammer who is just perfect for you. They have the perfect scam for you too. They speak your language. They know exactly how to connect with you. In fact, it's like they've known you all your life. And what they have for you is the perfect scam. The one that works with your worldview and perspective just right. Now, you haven't met them yet. Maybe you never will. Maybe you'll never be in the right, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, in the wrong mood, with the wrong things happening in your life that would make you more open to things like this. Maybe that'll never happen. But maybe it will. They'll be right there. Like I said, they'll know exactly how to talk with you in such a way that this wonderfully weird, complex, difficult, nuanced world isn't all that complex, hard, weird, difficult, and nuanced. It's actually really easy when you understand this one little thing. Now, what I don't want to say is that all is lost here. It's really not. De-radicalization is a really tough process, and like our disclaimer says, this isn't for everyone to do. However, there are small things we can do to reduce the impacts of this process. Peter and I had a good chat about this, uh, and so did Garrison and I too. You have been involved in talking people out of radicalization, or kind of assisting in that steering moment I don't want to say you did it yourself. I don't want to say you were responsible for it. You have said yourself, as a disclosure, this is not your professional... Like, yeah. you don't... You're not next. It's... But you've been involved. Yeah. In and, and I am very curious, when you are de Sorry. When you are assisting in the process of de-radicalization, um, what, what are the first steps that you take? And... We will be as careful as possible with this. This is going to have disclaimers all over it, as in this is not praxis, but mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and it, it ultimately comes down to, you know, my, my day job, I work um, for a kind of a family behavioral health agency. So a lot of what I'm doing is just aligned to those therapeutic goals, but sometimes I will see some degree of radicalization happening. Um, and I try to kind of stop it in its tracks if I do. But the, the methodology for that is entirely dependent on where the, the individual is. 
And sometimes it might be that I'm talking to a parent who is, you know, someone in their late 20s and they're really consuming this stuff. If, if like, a hypothetical situation, it was a parent doing this and, you know, they were really getting into that, I think I would just start kind of challenging them a little bit or just asking questions to kind of tease out a little bit of almost so Socratic like so what, why do you think that do you think they really think that so why would some you know do that um, in the event of you know another hypothetical situation a, uh, a high schooler who is really into just at these really you know racist and awful memes I, I think then I might do some personal disclosure about where that leads. Because, uh, you know, I was, I used to be kind of a bit of an edgelord myself, and I probably could have gotten radicalized pretty easily, except I have a peer group that is uh, very diverse and very queer and very amazing. And I think that kind of helped me realize that, okay, this stuff is kind of edgy and funny, but it's not to be taken seriously. And a lot of these people who are posting it all the time are actually genuinely bad people. Um, and you know, they're just, they, they actually believe this stuff and I should start steering clear. Um, so I can, I'm able to communicate that, Hey, you know, this is how it played out for me. And then, um, you know, say it is, uh, a younger kid that is just kind of parroting Trump um, and that stuff. I think I just would do some reality testing and some, some education because the, the unfortunate thing there is they're just, you know, parroting what they, they heard on Fox or that the frigging former president said. And then, you know, as as someone who's a trusted adult, I can say, no, it's not like this. No, Black Lives Matter is not out there to kill all the cops. No, uh, you know, China didn't make this in a lab. You know, all, all this stuff. Um, so I, I think then it just becomes a little bit of more education. And usually that works Fairly well, but but again, you know, it, it's so entirely dependent on the individual where they are with the radicalization, and then also identifying what the roots of the radicalization are. And I think for so many people, <sighs> radicalization is a result of feeling powerless and being victimized by a unequal system of power, and it's. It is a normal response. You know, if the system has failed you, you're going to, you know, as a human being, you're kind of hardwired to be like, this is garbage. The government isn't doing anything for me. I'm struggling. I'm suffering. I'm going to, I, I, I hate the government. You know, that's, 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 or I, I hate, you know, whatever authority figure has been doing this to me. But so much of the, the, the radicalization piece has kind of bastardized that and been able to really tempt people with kind of this low hanging 
black and white thinking uh, mentality where it's, oh, it's, it's all because of feminism or it's all because of you know, multiculturalism or it's all because of X, Y, or Z. And it, it becomes very reductionist and very easy to consume and, and very addictive because hate is addictive. Um, you know, bullying and cruelty feels good, especially when you don't have power. It is a means to show your power and have a momentary bit of relief because, okay, I was able to overpower this person. Okay, at least I have some power. Or at least, you know, show some level of um, dominance over this person. Hmm. Okay, I I feel relief. And yeah, I, I, I see that culture all the friggin' time with, you know... Dudes in massive trucks with like Punisher stickers driving aggressively. And I, I kind of think, where are you lacking power in your life that you have to establish power through the car you drive? Um, in Australia, um, we had a, uh, an ad campaign that ran for a while that proves that we're a very different nation to the States hmm. where um, it would be like, you know, some guy gunning his engine or just driving like a, you know, silly person. And, you know, everyone would just hold up their hand with their little finger extended, just kind of showing <laughs> off, okay, that's what you're rocking. Um, which look it is, is an aspect of body shaming, but it's also, I think kind of cutting to that, like, what is it you feel insecure about? what is it that you're not controlling that you would like to control or that you're Mm -hmm. using this as like a stand in for being able to do that? Well, I'm, if you look at the systemic failures of the U S you know, the, the collapse of social support networks, um, you know, healthcare being, in the disastrous state it's in the economy being all over the place, you know, the, the millennial generation having gone through, you know, recessions and costly quagmire wars and all this stuff. There is justification for a great deal of powerlessness. Um, you know, there has been so much injustice and so much money spent on you know what what should have been spent on social support networks and it's been spent on other things and i think that has created a, a population that feels like they have been made powerless and they they are desperate to exert that power over others because it is the only thing that they they feel they have but the problem is that that creates this hyper-individualized, hyper-independent state. And, you know, when, when we need to be uniting and working together in the face of the national crisis, um, that's not necessarily the, the best philosophy. And if your answer is, I don't know, I completely respect that. Um, if you had to look at derailing this process, um, 
or, or kind of like getting in the middle and saying, hey, dude, where you are going is, is not good. Um, what would you, uh, do you have any advice or what would yeah. you be saying in that area? Well, yeah, this is, this is like, you know, one of the heavily talked about topics is, you know, how do we interrupt this process? Um, and, you know, a few things have happened, you know, the past few years to make the process more and more unlikely, um, or at least like people are doing it who are more intentional, right? Because like someone logging onto 4chan now knows what they're getting into, right? Like th- they know that this site has a reputation for causing these things to happen. Whereas, you know, four or five years ago, it wasn't really as much. Um, so that, that, has, that, has, that has definitely shift, shifted things, um, you know, but there's other places where, you know, 4chan's not going to be much Nazi recruitment now. Now that kind of places, now that kind of thing will probably happen on places like Discord, um, or maybe Telegram. Um, and, you know, it, and we're, we're seeing less and less people pulling from kind of nerds, I think, and more, you know, pulling from people who are already political, maybe p- people who are just m- more Trump supporters who are now, you know, be, there's people who are more far-right trying to get these people who are Trump supporters to also become far-right. So you'll see that kind of, you'll see that kind of thing going on. But, you know, the, the, the things still, still does happen. Um, in terms of getting to, to not happen, um, I think we need to create um, spaces where people can go on the internet that are um, more... I, I don't want to say more accepting because that that, that that sounds weird and that can, that can mean too, too many different things. But we need to we need to have like online spaces that can appeal to uh, a, a broader range of people and make people just feel less alienated, um, right? Because the people the reason why people go into these kind of more obscure places is because they generally feel alienated from other people in their personal lives or from other places online. Um, so you know, watching you know, play, um, like this is where Tumblr was great. Um, I mean, t- Tumblr did have a far right side, like a lot of s- social media sites do, but it had a really you know a, safe, a, a great space for a lot of queer people. Um, uh, Twitter can do this a little bit. How like Twitter has like different different you know communities kind of built in. But of course, this isn't a perfect this isn't a perfect system because you know if someone joins this and they start following you know like conservative commentators, that can easily push them down a rabbit hole as well. Um, the the biggest thing if like if you, if if you know the person in real life that is great um, just getting to hang out with someone else in real life it does so much I know that that's hard with the plague and stuff but being able to have like actual like in person connections with other people make you makes people less susceptible to falling to these more extreme ideologies online uh, like if you have like an actual physical connection to right right the people in your life um, that and you can have like open conversations about stuff like hey I noticed like you're you know uh, posting some you know some stuff that maybe is a little bit is, is, is a little bit sketchy do you want to talk is there stuff going on do you want to talk about stuff that, that, that those kind of things actually are are really really great ways to get people to realize that they have like actual personal connections in real life and they don't need to rely on these people online offering them community because that's what a lot of a lot of the pull from these kind of Nazi groups are, or like far right groups are, they may not be, they may not be actually Nazi, is that like they're offering a community to people who are very isolated and alone. Um, and you see people, you know, adopt adopt political beliefs because it's just it's the only community that they can they have access to. Um, so trying to create alternative communities are, um, or you know, alternative places where they can sort through stuff is is is. Uh, generally kind of the best the, the best thing to to do but, but you know it 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 it, it goes it, it it's a person-to-person basis right it, it, you know all these things kind of depend on a lot of personal factors so there's there's not one thing that works for everything but generally trying to you know reach out to people and offer you know a, a better place is 
is kind of the that would be like my default thing. I uh, if you'll forgive me, I, I kind of get the feeling that in a lot of ways, what we need is a space that's the right kind of accepting, but also the right kind of okay, no. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's not like accepting of every, yeah, that's what I'm not trying to say, like, we need, like, an accepting space where we let everything be, it's like, you know, we need a space where people can, yeah, can, it's, it's, it's more about, you know, offering up a community that is not toxic, you know, creating an alternative, <laughs> like, creating, like, an alternative community that actually has, like, positive aspects, so people don't need to, like, rely on these, on these, you know, more extreme ideologies to have a community, um, you know, because, I mean, a, the, the big problem is, alienation people feel alienated so they find the one thing that like reaches out and proposes a proposes why there's problems in their lives and you know far far, far ideologies offer people communities and they propose why there's a problem uh, now the, the the their diagnosis of the problem is wrong and their communities are toxic and violent um but that's but that's why people join them um I mean, and, and like, like, uh, like another aspect, like social, like social media sites should be so much better at moderating far right content. Like that would do so much. Um, if like if if Facebook shut down QAnon stuff like four years ago, um, what we would have been, we would be in a much different place. Like there's a lot of the blame is on how on social media sites lack of uh, lack of ability or lack of willingness to hamper down on far-right beliefs and people exposing fascist talking points. A lot of the blame is on them, because once a fascist can get, can get a foothold on a platform, um, people can feel comfortable joining that you know, and becoming a part of that community in that way. Um, so that is definitely a massive problem in terms of creating like a space online. You know, cause I, 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 t- I talked about how Twitter can be good in some ways for you know creating a space with a lot, a lot of different voices. But once you start following a few specific kind of you know more conservative people, you can easily follow like four years ago, you could have easily fallen down a, a very dangerous rabbit hole of following Nazis and Nazis accounts, and then you're, you're then you're just you know further into in, into into like this fascist nonsense. Um, Twitter's gotten a little bit better at that, but there still is a lot of fascists on on the platform. So it's it's by no means a perfect solution. One thing I want to put in here before I summarize and wind this up. Uh, I said earlier that there's a perfect scammer who knows exactly how to talk to you. The reason I say this is because there are different groups within the alt-right and conspiracy theory ecosystem. There aren't any communities or sub-communities that are immune to this, and it is very naive to say so. I want to address something that someone, a Twitter user by the name of Sodawax, said to me. She said she is in a bubble of left-leaning TTRPG, of the TTRPG community, and that the right is out there. And here's the thing. She's right. It is out there. Now, I am myself a part of that left-leaning bubble, uh, and I kind of think it's absolutely wonderfully perfectly timed that Ernie Gygax and his attempt to rebirth TSR games on Twitter got shut down so quickly around the time of me working for this. Looking at the people that leapt to his support, though, it did show that there's a large contingent of people that are part of our community that don't have the tolerance and empathy and understanding to embrace the diversity of folk we have that make up the majority of the community we're in. So... To bring this together, what I want to say is that people like Robbie aren't inherently bad. 
well, usually. I like to think that most people are actually kind of fundamentally decent, or at least can become so. What we need to remember is that loneliness and isolation can be exploited by people who are bad in order to make other people bad. You might ask, well, why don't people leave that group? The problem is with that question that often these groups are extremely controlling and abusive. It's very similar to an abusive relationship where the personal agency of that person is eroded down through constant attacks on their sense of self-worth, making it hard for them to make to want to make that change. These groups also ensure that anyone who leaves is now persona non grata. And for most people, being completely cut off from the social network, even if it's an abusive one, is a scary thought. All that being said though, I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving people who fall into these groups a free pass or anything like that. I realize as a white, cis-head or a male, it is very easy for me to sympathize with people who do fall into these groups. As I said earlier in this series, I suspect if the dice had gone a bit of a different way and earlier in my life, there's every chance I could have fallen into an incel online group. Fortunately, though, I was lucky. I fell into a support group that, by and large, was pretty decent for the most part. Not perfect, but pretty decent. And they helped get me on the right path so that I'd keep finding a better path. Now, in a lot of ways, that's actually the best we can hope for with our communities. We have to watch our communities with the knowledge that there are bad faith actors out there who are ready to approach those without any support network and exploit that loneliness and weakness. There's a really cool analogy called the Nazi punk bar analogy. Now, imagine you run a punk rock bar in the 80s, and one night, a guy walks in, he asks for, and he orders a beer. You look over the patches on his jacket, and yeah, there's some pretty bad stuff there. But hey, it's a bar, he's not drunk, and you need to pay the rent. So you sell him a beer or two. The next night he comes back, brings a couple of friends, and again, they're polite. And those bills, they're not going to pay themselves. Now, over a certain period of time though, you notice this group is getting bigger and bigger. And some of them aren't quiet or polite or just sitting and drinking their beers. Some of them are starting fights or making the other patrons uncomfortable. And soon you notice you have no other patrons. And what you have now is a Nazi punk bar. We need to help people that aren't able to help themselves. We need to be friends to the friendless. And yeah, it's hard. It's not for everyone. I respect that there are a lot of safety issues and spoons required to try and be friends with people that just drain you. But what we can do, we need to do, both for ourselves and our community. My name's Josh, and on Twitter I go by NerdyPeopleDnd. You can catch me there and uh, listen to the um, other podcast stuff that I do. Uh, an actual play with Curse of Strahd, but he's a railway baron, and Better Homes and Dungeons, which I've neglected for the last couple of months to work on this. Um, please take care of yourself uh, and those around you. Thank you.